Welcome to Casting Nets. I am one of your hosts, Pastor Dave Rudat. We are here for Beyond the Sermon. We are looking at two different sermons today. I am joined with here with Pastor Dave Endorf. That's your cue to speak, Dave Endorf. Oh, sorry. I'm Pastor David Endorf. I'm at Brooklyn Lutheran. So it's great to have you here. Uh, Pastor Will Harley is on vacation. Uh, he is doing... You would think if Pastor Harley is on vacation that he would be sitting there at home doing nothing, but no, he is resting by doing other work at home, making sure everything is going on at his house, so we wish him well, hope he finds rest in all of the activities that he is doing there uh, during his staycation. I did a staycation earlier this summer, um, was very, very good to not have to uh, come into work and just do stuff around the house and not have to feel like I'm not paying attention to anybody at home. Nice. So, um, without further ado, we'll, let's go into our text for today. I, or uh, Pastor Endorf, uh, traveled to Colorado. Yeah, Denver. Denver. Yeah, his uh, grandmother mm-hmm. passed away, and so he did not preach this past Sunday. But he does have a funeral in his own congregation. Is that right? Correct. Yes. So he's going to be talking about a funeral sermon. We have not preached. The subject of us of a funeral sermon in our podcast before, so that's what we'll talk about today. So our gospel lesson uh, for this past Sunday <laughs> was Matthew fifteen twenty one to twenty eight. Jesus left that place and withdrew into the region of Tyre and Sidon. There was a Canaanite woman there from that territory. There a Canaanite woman from that territory came and kept crying out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. A demon is severely tormenting my daughter, but he did not answer her a word. Her disciples came and pleaded, Send her away, because she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt in front of him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said. Yet their little dogs also eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, your faith is great. It will be done for you just as you desire. And her daughter was healed at that very hour. So this last week I was uh, going to MLC to take my kids off to school. And so there wasn't a ton of time for me to prepare this sermon for this uh, past Sunday. So I did kind of do a, a color commentary of the conversation that Jesus had with this Canaanite woman, just prefacing the whole conversation with sometimes there are conversations that we're engaging in and we have no idea what is really being said because uh, maybe it's going over our heads or maybe we don't know the vocabulary. And I think in this case, it also could also go over our heads and actually trigger us because Jesus actually calls her a dog if you're reading very closely on this. And so... Uh, it was, it was kind of fun for me as a pastor just to kind of go through the conversation and illustrate in the Greek how sometimes, yes, Jesus is talking to her, but is he actually talking to her? Like, uh, I was thinking of this in terms of an actor and stage directions. He is having a conversation with his disciples, and uh, she's in, within earshot. And, but she is definitely having a conversation with him even though it may not appear that he is actually having a conversation with her till the very end when he says, woman, your faith is great. It will be granted to you at this very hour. So the Greek has that 
yes, he's answering her, but he is really answering the disciples when they say send her away because uh, she keeps calling out after us. So it was, it was neat just to kind of go through the play-by-play there and also just to stand up for this Canaanite woman because her faith is indeed great. And what, what makes it great is holding on to every word of the Lord Jesus. I did uh, preface the, the whole thing by this is in direct contrast to what came before with the Pharisees and how the disciples were like, Jesus, you offended the Pharisees and by your words because uh, the Pharisees were offended that Jesus' disciples, one, were washing their hands, were not washing their hands before they ate bread, and two, they were offended that Jesus called them hypocrites um, after they called them out on the disciples not uh, washing their hands. And so it does, the Canaanite woman serves as the exact opposite of the, um, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. What, what is God looking for? Is he looking for the outward appearances or is he looking for uh, what's going on in the heart? And so it was fun to go through and say, you know, this woman probably never washed her hands before she ate bread. Or There's all kinds of, her past is so very um, empty. We, we don't know what about, about her past, but we do know her daughter has demon possession. And so, you know, when someone <laughs> is demon possessed, there's a lot that goes into it. It's not just like a night and day um, demon possessed. There's po- possible, like a ton of bad decisions that, either this woman or her daughter made. But what matters is not the past. What matters is that she comes before the Lord Jesus and says, you're the son of David. She identifies him as a savior. She asks him for mercy. She doesn't um, make any deals with him. She just says, heal my daughter. That's it. Uh, my law and gospel was kind of uh, in for in, indirect law and gospel. I didn't mention at the back, at the back end of it and say, okay, how would we apply this uh, text to us today? Perhaps we feel like we are the um, outcasts. Perhaps we feel that there are. Go ahead. Nope, you didn't say anything. Um, uh, so perhaps we we know people that are outcasts uh, and and are on the fringes of our society. Let's go to them with the gospel. Let's engage with them. Um, I'm sure pastors who have preached this text have also said, what does our church look like? Is it filled with people who on the outside look like um, followers of Christ, or are they just people here to hear the good news of Jesus and to receive his gifts, uh, who may, on the, out, on the outer appearances, may not be what you would expect to find somebody in church on a Sunday or whenever you have church. Gospel, of course, is Jesus uh, gives her comfort. And uh, Jesus gives all of those things. that Every word that Jesus says is gospel, even in the midst of uh, what it appears to be offensive. You know, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And you go, okay, lost sheep, there's gospel. He's sent to, to save people who are lost. Israel, uh, he says Israel, but he's not in Israel. He's in Tyre and Sidon. So if he's saying, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel, and he's sitting there in the land of Jezebel and Baal and saying, I'm looking for the lost sheep, that tells you he's not looking for the um, people who are descendant of Israel, but true Israel, the believers in Christ. And then um, uh, he says that when he talks about it's not right to give to the children and give it to their dogs. Again, there's gospel in there because the dogs are in his house. Uh, that he is taking care of those dogs. This is this is someone that belongs to him. So um, just in every 
I found fascinating in every word of Jesus in the midst of what seems like is an offensive statement to this woman is actually gospel nuggets that this is the, oh, oh, and also I was sent. You know, when she says, son of David, and he says, I was sent, he's not saying, I'm not the son of David. He's saying, yeah, I am the son of David. I am the one that was sent. I am the Messiah. So there's all those uh, little nuggets inside of all of these phrases. Um, that's what I got. Um, uh, go ahead. I've been going through the Luther's large catechism with the our, our Tuesday afternoon Bible study. And Luther, in, in talking with um, about baptism, this was weeks ago, makes a, a comment about... Uh, you know, baptism gives you something to to hang your hat on because faith always needs an object. And, you know, th- this is one of those things that Luther says with you. And every, every time I've been preaching since then, um, it, it's really helped me to kind of formulate in my head you know, what am I giving my congregation to hang their hat on for gospel faith in Christ? You know, and, and that's like, you know, the things you all just listed, you know, this is this is how I'm hanging my hat on that, that God is showing me he is a loving God who forgives sins in Christ. You know, and you had that great list of, you know, the Messiah, uh, the, the one who's in the, the land of Jezebel you know, the withdrawals, you know, I, I know when I'm tired, you know, you're just talking about staycations. Um, I can do a pretty good job of avoiding everybody, you know, but Jesus doesn't. Um, and so all of those things are just a great way of um, God taking us from seeing him as a, a judge who's far off and distant, who doesn't care about us, to, you know, who has forgiven our sins in Christ, and that's the work of the gospel. You know, something to hang our hat on. Um, And I, I guess maybe this is a good beyond the sermon question, but have you ever wrestled with what is the content of saving faith that a person has to know yeah like what like how the, much what, does a person have to know to be saved right right and he says your faith is great and all all she has to hang her head on is he's the son of david and that he has mercy yeah that's it yeah to someone like her you know it's like he that's all everything she has and it's she's going to hold on to that and and it's kind of neat how uh it's kind of like the star wars where they talk about the jedis where they you would ray comes in in the new series and uh they're all upset because she doesn't know everything but she knows the core concepts and so that's an and so you think of that with faith is what what is the core concept that she knows jesus is the son of david he is the promised king uh, he shows mercy, and everything else falls into place after that. 
Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's that reproach. The, the apostles who are right there of, you know, look at how much she's sticking with it because she knows God is a merciful God to everybody. And you guys are trying to kick her out. <laughs> you know, shouldn't you have seen that? Um, I was, I was, I was fascinated because you know, like you have in the other texts where G- the disciples pushed her away, pushed children away, for example, or the pushed moms away, where they didn't actually push them her away. They talked to Jesus, and so they're saying. Jesus, you have you should do something. We're not going to kick her out because it seems like you would be in the business of getting rid of demons. You would be in the business of helping people who ask you for help. So, I, I I could see the other side where they would say, "You're the you're the leader, Jesus. You're you're the leader, Jesus, and we're we're following you. We're following your lead. You should send her away, like push her away." But I, of, I often wonder if they didn't have a little bit of the, you should help her and then send her away, release this thing. That's where the, the, the Greek word in the sending her away uh, has been used in the New Testament in terms of not just kicking somebody out, but relieving whatever burden they've got. But again, we don't know. Yeah. We don't. I, I'm corrected. So, um, well, I'm, I'm going with go ahead. what you said instead of what I was thinking. Yeah. It, it's a, yeah, it's, it, this text is just so much to dig into. I really, I, this is one of my favorites of the gospels because there is so, there's so much there, but so much not there. Like we don't know. How did you find out that Jesus was the son of David? And what and like your question before was what was her, what did she know other than he's the son of David, he has mercy and he shows mercy to people who ask it, not because of them or what they've done for him, but because that's who he is. Yeah. All right, I'm I'm good. Any, well, go ahead. Oh, I'm I'm not. I. Um, we only have two texts, so I'm gonna go crazy. Um, <laughs> Then, then you look at uh, Tyre and Sidon, and wasn't it Tyre that was an island? And then to destroy it, Alexander the Great like turned it into a peninsula, and and so you have the you know Old Testament prediction of destruction and law, and you know I've always taken that as you know, this visible reminder of, um, you know, God's word being fulfilled. And and here God uses that to um, save somebody. To, that even as he's, um, you know, carrying out his alien work, you know, Romans 8 from two weeks ago. It is still in play that he's still working at saving people and that everybody growing up entire after that had, um, you know, this demonstration of God's power, the true God's power and control in this world to bring them to faith. 
and that that's a glimpse we get to see of God's um, love, you know, in the midst of his judgment that, yeah, he's going to dis- um, he's going to judge the sinful and the wicked. But what he really is to save people, you know, and that that's withdrawal here is is not just for her entire for um and then for the apostles are going to witness to you know he's training them to go out and to talk to to the world to the ends of the earth to lay the foundation for the church that's going to eventually come to preach to you and to me so that i heard the gospel when i was living in alaska so that you heard the gospel when you were living in Wisconsin. And um, and how much further away from Tyre can you get than living in Alaska? <laughs> Don't we have to change currencies when you move to Alaska or something like that? Pretty sure. <laughs> that's, yeah. the, that's always the joke. People get off the cruise ships. Say, where, where's the... Yeah. Uh, any, um, I, I did not know that about Tyre, but once you said that Alexander did built the ramp thing, I Googled it while you were talking, and yeah, you're right. Absolutely right. It was a island that Alexander the Great in, in 332 B.C., so 300 years before, had built a causeway to go take it over. Uh, question that was asked, why is demon possession so prevalent in the Bible but seems to have disappeared? How would you answer that question, Dave? Um, saying, you know, you, you have the, the question that Jesus asked, who sinned, you know, this woman or the child that he was born blind and the, the answer that Jesus gives, you know, this was done so that the glory of the Lord would be revealed. And the, the same thing is true in the gospels that God wanted to make clear that Jesus was not, oh, wise teacher he was the son of god who came to die for the sins of the world and so he asked people to take up their cross and follow him by dealing with demon possession so that um you know they could see the glory of the lord you know behind the the mask that christ was wearing um not just for their sake but for yours and for mine and in a lot of ways, that's not needed anymore because we have that in God's word through which the Holy Spirit works. Um, but also, this is where, you know, working with a lot of Liberian immigrants, you know. Um, Still prevalent, you know. Yeah. There are some places where it is very prevalent, isn't it? Yeah. And and also having served in rural Wisconsin, I've been asked to perform exorcisms and um i don't know if i've necessarily ever seen anything that i couldn't explain but i've definitely talked to people who were very much worried about it um and so um you know we remember that Ultimately, even the demons, as much as we are warned about them, serve God's plan of salvation. 
and they end up driving people to um, <laughs> pastors like me yeah, right. uh, who are going to tell them, um, yeah, I'll help you, but come to church because otherwise they're going to come back and find a room that is swept clean and it's going to be worse. And that's what we do. And, and you share the gospel. There's a book uh, by a uh, LCMS pastor in Madagascar talked about I Am Not Afraid, where he talks about how demon possession was prevalent. I leave, Liberia is a different place, section of Africa, but Madagascar uh, did have quite a bit, a bit of demon possession. And I think I like your point, David, where uh, demon possession ultimately, we hope, brings people back to the gospel and in connection with the gospel that God is still at work. Why doesn't it make the news then? Well, if it makes the news, then the opposite would also make the news that there is actually, um, Jesus is actually real. And he is actually at work in using God's people in this world, driving out supernatural forces, um, not just at individuals' baptisms, but also in these uh, demon possession cases. So I Perhaps, perhaps that's good enough of an answer of why we don't see demon possessions as often. One in the, as David was saying, one in the Old Test, in the New Testament, it revealed uh, Christ as a savior, and also uh, in our day, it's still here, perhaps driving people to the gospel, and uh, it's still around because the devil is still at work trying to lead people astray. And you know, the the two other points I would I would bring up is. You know, at least in the situations I've dealt with, um, you know, and, and the work of the devil in general is to drive people to loneliness and to being alone. You know, this is not something where, you know, they want to show, want to be with people. You know, this drives them to despair and to their house and to not talk to people and to, you know, and, um, and so, you know, and that's just part of the devil's work in general and, and sin's work in general is nobody can understand the pain I'm going through. You know, I'm all alone. I'm, so why is it not in the news? People don't talk about it. You know, it's not like they go to the news and say, hey, I'd like you to come see the pain I have. You know? So why would it be in the news? Um, and then the other thing is, it so drives me nuts when everybody wants to explain away demon possession by, by epilepsy. Like, look at the Bible. Like, none of the none of the accounts there fit epilepsy. Um, it, it's not seizures. They're, um, yeah. That's that's just my soapbox. Yeah, isn't. Aren't there, isn't there an account or two where it does specifically mention epilepsy too? Or maybe I'm... I mean, there are, there are seizures, but... Yeah, not epilepsy. Okay, there you go. Okay. You know, but, but one, there's seizures that throw them into the fire. And, you know, epileptic seizures never intentionally throw a person into harm. Um. You know, so there's always kind of a distinction with that, you know, or, or you have the Gerasene demoniac who has 
extraordinary strength. You know, that's not, I, those are not epileptic seizures. Um, sure. All right. Uh, time to move on to First Thessalonians. Uh, are you using the HV or not? Um, not, but that's the one I brought up for myself today. So. Okay. All right. So let's uh, talk about um, the text you're preaching on for our sermon text, Ephesians, First Thessalonians 4. Is it 13 to 18? Is that right? Mm-hmm. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep, so that we, you do not grieve in the same way as others who have no hope. Indeed, if we believe in that Jesus died and rose again, then in the same way we also believe that God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. In fact, we tell you this by the word of the Lord, we who are still alive and left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not go on ahead of those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead of Christ dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So the, you know, the funeral um, preaching of the law is always, you know, right there, the death um, and one of the things I like pointing out is, maybe like pointing out is the wrong word, but that I think is valuable to point out is that death is hard. It was never meant to be a part of this world. It, it is a breaking of God's creation and God's will for for people and their life. Um, Jesus wept at the fray, the grave of his friend Lazarus, and there is nothing wrong with having a hard time with death. Uh, and that even the dying process itself, there is nothing wrong with, you don't have to be happy about dying as a Christian. You know, that's not, um, and, and you'll at least as a pastor, I've run into people who have thought that they had to be happy about everything that happened to them as a Christian. And it's like, you know, that's not what Paul says here in Thessalonians. It's it's okay to grieve. It's okay to be sad. You know, we cling to the hope that we have in Christ because these are hard problems to go through. The difference is that we remember the work of Christ, and that's the gospel, you know, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, and that we're holding on to more than just, uh, you know, words and, and promises. We're holding on to, um, you know, and that would be enough. If God had said, this is what I'm going to do, that would be more than we could have asked for. But he backs it up with the actions of Jesus that have, have guaranteed it for us by, by earning heaven us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we have, um, you know, the, the catechism definition of faith, knowledge, assent, and trust. 
we know what Jesus did for us. We agree that it's true. And so as we look to the future, we trust that it applies to our loved one and to us. We know where they are. We know God will get us there. And so we have hope all the days of our life and we know how it ends. Um, and then I like to encourage people, you know, as believers, we don't play, pray for our, our own death because, you know, I get you want to go to heaven. I get you want all of these problems to end. Um, but we pray for Christ to return. Then we all get to go to heaven together. And we don't leave anybody behind. We don't have to go through the dying process. And we get all the joys of what Paul is talking about here as he writes to the Thessalonians of the, the, the reunion in the air with all the believers, but most especially with our Lord and Savior, Christ, who, who paid for our sins and, and rose again from the dead. Um, and so that's, that's the funeral sermon. The text may change, but that's the funeral sermon. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. I like how Paul says, we grieve, but we don't grieve as if we have no hope. So, yeah, yeah. there is a, a sadness, but then there's also a hope that we always always express. And, and you can have both of those things at the same time, I think. Like you were saying, sometimes God's people are like, I have to be happy, or we have to th- say they're in a better place. We just can't say, this sucks. You know, um, I've done that before as a pastor coming in and saying, you know, this really, I think I even said this, this really stinks, you know, that this, this happened. And for people to, to acknowledge that instead of trying to look for the, the, the phrase that oftentimes is used is that God works all things for our good. And, and how that's applied is that we must understand that at the moment that we're going through the bad thing. We must understand, like we have to, we have to see the good already, and for God's people to recognize, we may not see the good in this right now. We may never see the good in this, but we do have a hope that we're going to see this our your loved one again. We are going to um, be reunited uh, in heaven someday, and or when Jesus comes again. Yeah, and and this is where the devil, the world, and, and our sinful nature are very good at leading. Like I, I should be a Christian. I, I should handle this better. I should, I should be happy. Like, why? This is hard. Um, God doesn't tell you that you should be happy all the time. Christ wept at the grave of Lazarus. Um, and and he was going to say, Lazarus, come out. Um, so. As we address these things as Christians, um, we always want to be clear there's a difference between guilt and guilt feelings. You know, the devil is very happy to make you feel guilty about stuff. You don't have to feel guilty about. Um, and um, Yeah, it's, a, it's such a good point to make. Differences between guilt and guilt feelings. Yeah. And the need for someone, something external. Um, when you are feeling with guilty feelings or whether you're feeling with guilt is to get something, have someone say something to you externally, outside of yourself. So not resolved within, but it resolved 
through proclamation to you that your sins are forgiven and also that God loves you. It's not based on your feelings. And if you have actual guilt, then God removes that guilt um, through absolution. Either way, external, not from some inner figuring things out. All right. Good text. And that's one of the things I like about this First Thessalonians 4 section. Oh, it's because the work of Christ is so very clearly there, is you have that you you have that solid this is what we trust you know this is the comfort we have and so it always comes it always takes us away from ourselves and points us to christ it, it, it this is our comfort I, I loved the person sometimes they were good sometimes they weren't so good but it comes back to him it comes back to my savior this is why i have confidence because Jesus died and rose again. And so I have hope, even in the midst of my grief. All right, I'm ready to wrap up the show. Anything else to, that you want to say? Oh, you haven't preached a sermon yet, have you? Or did you, yesterday? No, it's coming up. Not yet. Okay. Yeah. So God, go with you as you do so. And uh, hope for the future found in Christ, whether you are Canadian uh, Can- Canadian woman, whether you are a Canaanite woman, uh, find, finding your hope in a Messiah, even who speaks weird words and, and uncomfortable words to you, but also, and also if you are uh, um, listening to the Apostle Paul and dealing with this grief and sadness, we have hope for the future found in Christ. So uh, join us on Thursday. Uh, Thursday is going to be a uh, one-man show, or if Dave, if you want to join too, uh, Bill Harley, of course, is on vacation. I'm going to be just doing some overall reflections of my time as a synod convention delegate. Uh, Dave and I are also, and Will and I are also, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, John Hines' paper in, in next week um, that he gave about uh, the statistical reports of our synod. So you are welcome to join us for that next week. This week, Thursday, I'm doing something that I promised my congregation just to give a recap of my time as a synod delegate at convention and what happened there. And Dave, you're welcome to chime in, ask me questions, or clarify what I said. Um, That'll be Thursday at 1030.